Hello, welcome to the edited version of Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. If you'd like to hear the full version of this conversation, then you can go to cosmicshambles.com slash bookshambles and become one of our Patreon supporters, uh, which you can do for as little as $1 an episode. That's one US dollar, and obviously it will depend on which of our economies is declining more, uh, how much that actually works out in pounds, uh, euros, etc. And also, if you're a Patreon supporter, we give away a box of books every week to one of our Patreon supporters, and we have more more bonus episodes and bits and pieces. Hello, welcome to one of the Edinburgh Fringe specials of Book Shambles. Uh, just a quick note, hopefully the sound should be absolutely fine, but unfortunately what happened was we did have a studio booked, but then found out that uh, it had an extremely aggressive studio manager stroke owner, and so we found ourselves instead in a hotel recording these. So hopefully all is fine. I hope you enjoyed them. Bye-bye. <laughs> Hello, um, welcome to Robin and Josie's Book Shambles. Um, today our guest is the writer and broadcaster, Ema McBride. We love calling everyone a broadcaster. Everyone's a broadcaster. Everyone's a broadcaster. Everyone's a broadcaster. And we're absolutely thrilled to have you. Hello. Hello. Um, this, uh, again, I have to explain uh, that I've got my knee up, elevated with um, some ice in the form of two bags of frozen peas. So occasionally I'm leaning back, so sorry if that happens. She looks like, as I was describing before, for anyone here who's a Charlie Chaplin fan, where there would always be, if Charlie Chaplin was on roller skates, there would be a man with a bandaged, gouty foot who Charlie Chaplin would constantly bang into. That's mm-hmm. what you look like, an elderly, gouty man. It's amazing no, right. how quickly you fell. Because mm-hmm. when we were recording yesterday, you looked young and vibrant. You've had one day mm-hmm. at the Edinburgh Fringe, mm-hmm. and already you can no longer walk. Life has brutalised me. Life has been Charlie Chaplin on roller skates to me. So, anyway, we're going to start off with your well, your most recent book. It's not your new book. Uh, new since we last met, The Lesser yes. Bohemians, which is... Um, right, I want to know about how the, the writing technique, because it has this... Uh, it feels like an act of hypervigilance. There is... It's uh, in the mind of uh, a young woman, a young uh, drama student, and uh, it's just the speed of all the thoughts as she comes to London for the first time, she uh, starts a relationship. But how much in your writing style is reflects your ability to monitor how you think yourself? Well, I think really what that technique comes from is... Um, I went to drama school myself as an 18-year-old and uh, studied Stanislavski. And so it's really about that. It's, it's, it's using that technique that actors use to recreate everything that's happening at once and, and, and express it in a single moment. Using that for... Um, uh, I can't remember the word now. Basically, it is uh, making language do it instead of the body do it. Mm. So it's just cramming all of all the impressions and the thoughts and the emotions and the reactions and sensations, everything, just cramming them all together and making them all happen at once because that's what happens in the mind. Because it, it is quite, it does make, you know, to use that cliche of intoxicating, but it is, there are points where, it, it reminds me, there was a book once called The Monkey's Mask by Dorothy Porter, who was a, uh, an Australian writer, and she wrote, it was a crime detective thriller that was written entirely in verse. Wow. So it's just like... So there's so you know she, yeah. there can be no extraneous detail, yeah. but it gives you the, the 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 speed of events, the speed of words, and that in the same way that when you're going, for instance, in the first 
like sex scene in the book where she where she first goes back with this. Uh, none of this is giving away, I think, too much to plot. No, it's no, early I think it's, it's pretty clear. And uh, there's going to be some shagging. And just the bit <laughs> yes. of all of the all of the thoughts that she's going through: the examination, the examination of bodies, her body, his body, the examination of the worry about bodies, the examination of the possibilities of what may happen, the looking around the room. I mean, that is that, that process. Do you just do you write frantically and then edit? Or do you write, you know, it, it, do you, or do you have a process? Are there different ways that you find yourself suddenly caught in a scene and writing at incredible speed and other times where things may be slow and methodical? Um, I think it depends on, on what I'm writing. I mean, I'm always approaching it from the idea of immediacy, of trying to get there as quick as possible. Um, and so not looking for extraneous details. She's not describing things to herself or to the reader. She's just experiencing them and the mm. reader should be just experiencing them through her. Um, and so there are points where I would just kind of write in a flurry and then go back and tidy. But there are other times when I'm, you know, when I was really looking for a scene to achieve something, I would have to think about it a lot more carefully. Um, but whenever I would get stuck with an idea and think, what, what are they going to do now? What happens? I always brought it back to the body. Hmm. And that recreates that sense of immediacy again. That's like Buddhism and like <laughs> mindfulness is like going back to exactly how it feels in the body. Um, it's like the key to awareness and understanding. Well, I am very wise. <laughs> <laughs> what were your, because um, your first book, Girls Are Half Formed Thing, that has quite a long gestation, doesn't it? Very long, yeah. And it's fascinating because I think when I first met you at a uh, Beckett Festival, it was about three years ago now, wasn't it? No, it was like, only about a year and a half ago. No, it was much longer ago than that. Really? I reckon it's at least two, yeah. Um, when we first met, you were... The, the fascinating thing about that book is it is a proper... Like the film Arrival, people can get really angry about it and <laughs> yeah. utterly adore it. And you yeah, were saying yeah. that you actually quite enjoy the fact that yeah. you will either get people going, this is... Because it, it won various awards, it's a bit like what happens in Edinburgh, is there's a lovely thing where Nick Helm, who's a great... Uh, very very funny comedian and uh, sometimes yeah he'd get very well reviewed shows and then obviously people just circle it and they go oh well that one's had five stars so I'm going to go and see it and then they go well this is not what I thought a five star show was <laughs> and, and, and then they would as, as they walked out he would sometimes follow them across the courtyard the pleasant courtyard and go read what it says under the stars next time you idiot right so um, so there's that nice thing where people would go, would go oh well this is one an award so yeah. oh hang on a minute yeah. well this is not this what is I was expecting at all. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think that is that's a problem. I mean, it's as a writer, it's great because obviously winning prizes brings you to a wider readership. And certainly for a writer like me who writes and is interested in language in the way that I am, it's very hard to find a readership that's that's willing. But when you win an award, people give it a go. And then sometimes they're delighted that they've discovered something unusual and sometimes they are absolutely raging and feel that they have been ripped off in some way they've been lied to because this book was you know more difficult than they were expecting or that the topic was more you know painful for them to read about than than what they would expect from someone who won the Bailey's Prize. Um, You're the scourge of book clubs. Yeah well you know I, I often have very sort of furious people coming up and saying how they either they had read my book been forced to read my book at a book club and hated it (laughs) or that they had brought it to the book club 
and everyone else had hated it, but they, of course, had loved it. Oh, God. Which I'm is like, always great. Oh, I hate that. That's like people coming up to you after a gig that you thought went fine. And going, I don't know what everyone else was doing, because I loved it. And you're like, what? 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 You could have just said you loved it. Why just leave it, it at that. That's okay. Also, it does shock me that people feel entitled to come up to you and be rude to you. Not rude, but like be combative to you about it. No, I mean, you know, they, I think people like it or they feel that I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging that in them in some ways, that if I'm, if I'm being sort of forthright about certain subjects, then they are entitled to be forthright towards me about every subject. Oh, God. Um, which is odd, but, you know, but it, also I quite like how infuriated people are by it, and, and also sometimes people are infuriated and then realise they kind of love it at the end, and that they're glad they put themselves through it, and, and that's always satisfying, of course. Yeah. I was going to ask you about, like, what do you love to read? Like, do you find that the things you love to read are very much, like, uh, linguistically experimentative and or, or, or like like yeah what do you most enjoy like and does that change a lot and no I think it changes I mean you know my favorite book is Ulysses but I don't want to read that every day you know <laughs> sometimes I like to read something just a bit easier it really it depends but I am always uh, no matter what it is if, if the language is bad I can't read it if it's very lumpy no matter how exciting the idea is or, yeah it just doesn't make any difference to me. I can't. I can't bear it. It's there's got to be something going on and understanding and feeling for language. Are you like that with the lyrics of songs? Yeah, I really am. I you know because you notice it, don't you? Mm. you when when it's it just kind it. of you know, house rhymes with mouse or whatever. You just go, oh, for Christ's sake, come on now, lads. But yeah, when you when you hear something really and you know and there's a big section in the Lesser Bohemians which is sort of based on Tindersticks' huh. second album, and I could listen to that album forever and never get sick of it they are the, the writing is so good they're that what's that brilliant well my sister's on that one obviously yeah, yeah. but it's like they, I thought that, you meant your sister did guest vocals yeah 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 no she yeah yeah, yeah. That too. She, uh, <laughs> she's uh, she, she plays a theremin on it and so nice. uh, well she actually just walked past it and started going off you know the way it is with theremins um, that would be such a good pretend metal detector wouldn't it to... <laughs> <laughs> So the, the, the influence, uh, yeah, Tinder Sticks, I think, are, that, that, was it the last album that has that beautiful, um, the opening song is all about a guy who uh, meets a, a woman at the bar, and uh, then they go back home, they have, so, uh, have a lovely drink with hot chocolate and kind of jambui in it, <laughs> and then slowly the, the woman says, oh, by the way, there's something you don't know about me, and, uh, well, actually, I'm a man. And it just kind of ends with going, it's all right though, I was never much of a breast man, so it's not an issue. <laughs> and it's just this lovely revelation where it's just this kind of guy going, oh, it, it is like a version actually of some like it hot, you know. I don't mind. Is it, I don't mind, what's it, what's it, uh, nobody's perfect. Nobody, yeah, yeah, nobody's perfect. And it feels, it's a really beautifully told, like, yeah, it'll be fine. Well, now, now we've got this far. It's not matter. Attraction, yeah. attraction. No, I love listening to Tin Sticks. The, uh, so how much is music then? So obviously in that case, it's very much been an influence on you, but do you Hugely. find... Usually, and for that, that book particularly, not so much for a girl as a half-form thing, but Lesser Bohemians, I listen to an awful lot of music constantly over, well, it was, took me nine years to write it. Wow. So... Hang on, but your first one took you nine years as well, didn't no, it? No, it took me six months to write. It took me nine years to get oh, it published. That's, oh, I see, yeah. <laughs> I like your nine-year system, though, one way or the other, yeah. That's, I'm getting too old in the nine-year system. for nine years, <laughs> so I might as well take nine years. Nobody would like to publish it now. Sorry, I've already planned it out. It's going to take nine <laughs> years, this one. Yeah, I mean, that's the conversation I'm having with Faber right now. <laughs> 
So what were you? I mean, were you listening to things that you listened to when you were a drama student? Was Tim Stick second album? Yeah, at your... first, at first, I started listening to the music just because it's you know it's so evocative, and particularly you know when you're young and the music you listen to when you're young and there's lots of big things going on in your life, and I really wanted to just listen to that kind of stuff that I was listening to in '94. Just and also you know to recreate that atmosphere of Camden and London at that time and everything. And so I started listening to pulp and, you know, that kind of stuff. And and then found a, an old tape of a tape of Tinderstick's second album that someone had given me way back then and started to play that again. And, and then started really to realise that because, you know, I was... The story is told from the perspective of this young woman, but there's also a long section in the book where the, the much older man talks about himself and his life. And so I started to listen to a lot of male singer-songwriters as a sort of way into thinking about men and how they think about their sexuality and how they ex- talk about it. Um, and it's funny, I found listening to music, listening to songwriting in a way kind of gives you a much more a much deeper kind of access than literary writing which is it's so busy with all its formal things that often a lot of the emotion gets lost in it or it becomes so formalized that you you know you can't kind of find anything different and personal in it and with the with the songwriting I thought it was just it was a different way to to kind of think about those things and so I listen to a lot of men <laughs> who, were, who were the men you listened to so Jarvis Cocker obviously yeah. Pulp and uh, Tindersticks uh, Tindersticks I listened to well a lot of Radiohead but that's slightly different um, uh, Suede again a sort of atmosphere but also um, Nick Cave Oh, you see, that's what I was waiting for. I reckon if we push this long enough, it's going to be Nick Cave. Robin rolls up his sleeves. Yeah! <laughs> Pushes his glasses up to the bridge. Well, you know, well. that's, I mean, that's the album. He, they, he puts on Let Love In, mm. the night she loses her virginity. Yeah. So, you know. No, that's what I presume. That's what I wanted to make sure that came out there. Because I, I, I saw PJ Harvey this week, which was amazing. Uh-huh. And then the next gig is to go and see Nick Cave at the Nottingham Ice Arena or whatever the hell it's called. I don't think he's doing it on ice. Sadly. Disappointing. If yeah. you've got the ice, yeah. you've got to go. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just going to be in the normal Nottingham Marina. When did your... Because uh, when you were a drama student, did mm. you think you were going to be an actor or...? Yeah, I did. I mean, I was always writing at the same time and I always thought that I would write, but I thought I, would, I wanted to be an actor. Um, and that was, that was kind of the plan, really. Um, and then realised that that wasn't the plan and couldn't be the plan because I didn't really like being around people all the time. <laughs> Which makes it awkward. Um, for that kind of career um, and and then I went off to Russia and thought about what I wanted to do with my life and realised it was time to start taking writing seriously and and started writing kind of daily almost from that point on Do you remember what the books were because I remember it, like the drama when I did some drama stuff at university there were certain books that you were told you must read one of them was um, Simon Callow's Being an Actor you really must read Simon Callow's Being an Actor uh, and obviously Stanislavski but were there were certain Uta a- Hagen Respect for Acting I remember that being the, the, the main one and I don't it, trust anyone who's not got that Stanislavski book. I don't have it, and I don't trust myself. But when I go around like the friends who are performers, they all got it. Every single one of them. Being an actor. I've got the cartoon version. 
have you seen there's you can a get movie? a beginner's guide you know one of those wonderful <laughs> introducing and I love all those introducing books like the one with Robert Crumb doing Franz Kafka and all the ones with Oscar Zerati doing Freud and things like that and you forget a, that the illustrators behind it were like absolutely top oh yeah they're good <laughs> yeah. stuff and the guys who used to do Biff Chris Garrett I think yeah. it was Biff was an incredible comic do you, ever, you probably don't know Biff comic strip I don't. used to be in uh, I think it was probably in the Guardian but they're collected and they're all these they're quite uh, you know media theory savvy kind of little comic strips about relationships uh, sometimes and conversations but then all caught up in a slightly parodic kind of take on various different you know French linguistic theories or whatever yeah but uh, it's the kind of thing you read and you go, I don't necessarily understand it, but by the fact that I have read it, I believe I must be becoming very clever. <laughs> and then you get to 48 and you in go... In a casual way from yeah, now on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still don't know whether it's Baths or Bart or Bath, but nevertheless, I will talk about <laughs> mythologies more often. And the I've essay on wrestling... Bar- Bartes, is that wrong? Yeah, it's probably Bartes, isn't it? I'm looking at you. Don't look at me. How do I, 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 I think Bartes. You know how... <clears throat> I don't think Bartes. Know him. He's dead, isn't he? Yeah. Well, no, he's he... dead, because I don't want to mispronounce his name if he's still alive. He'll bloody come for me. <laughs> so you were, when did you start, it's always interesting knowing that the people that you, obviously Joyce has been important then, yeah. and you are, so did you start with, because we were talking to Erin McGuffey yesterday, and she was talking about, uh, she just moved to Dublin, so she's, she's, so, you know, she's getting towards Ulysses, oh, okay. she's done Dubliners, you know, that's, that's her okay. starting point. She when, took the when, slow hike up then. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the best thing to do, or do you think you should... Because we were both saying, Josie, me, uh, well, we, she's read one lot of hundred pages of Ulysses. I did another one, so eventually, between the two of us, we'll have finished we'll the book. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, I yeah, I really loved what I read. I just, as a pretentious twenty-year-old, bought a very old hardback copy that's fallen to pieces. <laughs> that lack of portability has been like a thorn in my side. It's impossible to buy it cheap. Yeah, it's not as if I could have bought a paperback. (laughs) But then I'm like, no, I've invested in this beautiful old copy. So I must read it sat in an armoire, turning one sort of... Anyway, well, now you, you know, you, you're going to be in your... Now I'm around. immobile. <laughs> and your shit's long all week. It's your chance. But I would say that people could dive into Ulysses. I, Ulysses was the first Joyce I read. I hadn't read any Joyce before that. And, you know, I was 25 and I was about to start this awful temping job in the city, in this records department. And I just thought, oh, Jesus, how am I going to survive this? And... I thought, well, I've had a couple of Ulysses sitting on the shelf for a while now. This is this is the year of, the, of Ulysses. And, um, yeah, I was living in Tottenham at the time, and I got on the overground uh, to go into Liverpool Street, started reading Ulysses, and I got off, and I just thought, okay, that's it. Everything I thought about writing is garbage. Now I have to start from the beginning again. This is completely... Everything is different now. It just completely changed everything for me. That's so rare. Yeah. Well, I needed it. It was all pretty terrible before that. <laughs> wow. Well, I had a Joycean epiphany, literally. <laughs> Have you had any other uh, epiphanies, or do you feel there's only one authorial epiphany possible? No, I mean, I think a few um, uh, weeks after I started writing Girl is a half Form Thing, I went to see a production of Sarah Keane's Cleansed at the Oracola. And... Um, and that, again, was a really powerful moment for me in terms of under, understanding my own sort of inbred sexism, I think. This idea of what women can write about and the way they can write about it. Suddenly she just kind of ripped the face off it 
and and I thought, oh, okay, I, I see that you can you can be brutal and you can be unpleasant and you don't have to be apologetic about it and you don't have to make it all right. You can just you know look at the wound and stick your finger in it rather than put a bandage on it, and that's what I wanted to do. So that's what I did. See, that's in crime novels. That's Ian Rankin. The, the the Daily Mail were desperate to get him to trouble because he he said he always found it interesting that. Uh, very often the real brutal crimes against women, the most brutal, were written by women, uh, which he just found, he said it's quite interesting. Mm. You know, that's, uh, and I think the male then went, oh, brilliant, we're going to stir it up and we're going to ring up Val McDermid and all those people. And of course they're all mates. Yeah. So it's like, oh yeah, no, we talk about that in the pub whenever we do the Harrogate Crime Festival. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, no, no, but you must be very angry about what, no, no it's not an issue at all. And he did, oh, Oh, you know, that's, but I yeah. think that, that seems to have been an area where certainly there are a lot of, uh, you know, very highly uh, rated uh, female crime authors who just mm. think like, yeah, there's no, this is no murder, you know, house mystery that's all very nice yeah. and it's all doilies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is, whoa, as you said, the sticking not merely, they've put four fingers into the wound now, they're sticking all the fingers into the wound. Beaten all. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and why not? But I think I was just reared with this very sort of dainty idea somehow, and I don't know where I got it from. And it was completely ridiculous that that women had to make everything all right, I suppose. And it was a relief to realise that. I understand that, though. I think, and I think also, like, being in any way, like, involved in, like, contributing to public discourse as a woman mm. you get so much kind of uh what's the word backlash towards yeah. everything that it sort of tries to diminish you and tries yeah. to make what you do less outspoken or less forthright or things yeah. like that and I feel like maybe that is kind of like what it feels like full stop to be a woman in society sometimes yeah. you know no I think that's that's absolutely true and I think there's a lot of you know covert and overt shaming of women that goes on and especially women who dare to kind of stick their head above the parapet and try and say something different or do something different that you know that is not acceptable in the boys club and they will get you and uh, and you will get a hard time for that and you know and I, I got a bit of that in some reviews for the Lesser Bohemians uh, you know where suddenly there was this kind of sneery little boys getting their willies out behind the the, you know, the, the, the bike shed or something, going, oh, she writes the word knickers, oh, knickers, knickers going up and down, oh, you know, it's all like, oh, mummy, knickers up, oh, it was all, just like, <laughs> a very, and I was like, Jesus, grow up, man, grow up, people shag all the time, and, and they like it, and they don't like it, and they can do that, and, and a woman can choose to do that if she wants, and you can, and I can write about that if I want, and I can write about it very, very explicitly if I want to, and I do. So stop being such a child. And but there was, you know, there was a fair old bit of that. It was just very, or this very kind of patronising. You know, well, we must hope that Miss McBride. You know, well, we're, if you're concerned about her, you can see that the book is dedicated to her father, and and she thanks her mother and the acknowledgements of the first book. You know, so you know she can't be that dark. It can't be that bad. This kind, I mean, unbelievable. So yeah. And also, it's such a double standard. Yeah. It's such a ridiculous double standard. That would never, ever happen to a male author. Not ever. It does sh- shock me. Like, And I think it is a, the biggest thing is with f- 
fiction how much uh, male and females, male and female writers are treated with completely different yeah. styles of yeah. criticism. And so, who do you read? Uh, do you, are, are the contemporary authors that you read? I mean, well, I'm always interested in the process of also when you're writing, mm. who you can read and who you go, I better not read. Um, to be honest, when I'm really properly in the thick of it writing, I don't read that much because it's just distracting and I... You, there's no point because all I'm thinking about is the novel, really. So, you know, there's sort of years of films, for instance, that I went to see that I have no memory of huh. because I just sat there thinking about the novel <laughs> throughout. So it's a bit of a lost cause reading during it, but around it... I really all sorts of things. I read a lot in translation, actually. Um, and um, I think I just actually finished Han Kang's new book, The White Book, which is just about to come out. And I think she is doing something really interesting and really extraordinary. And, you know, I think Vegetarian was a really outstanding piece of writing. And again, a very savage female approach. I don't really know life. anything. Do you know? Um, that is the book that Natalie Haynes was telling us about. Oh, uh, yeah. One of the best books that she'd read that year. Um, yeah, The Vegetarian and then another <coughs> novel, uh, Human Acts, was came out last year. And I think she's, I think there are a number of novels waiting to come through in translation from her. Um, and so I, I really can't wait, actually, to see, to see more. Thrill. They're all there. Yeah, they're, they're all there. The we don't have to wait for her to <laughs> yeah, write them. They're, they're all. We just have to wait for Deborah Smith to translate them. So, come on, Deborah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember a point where there was something that you read, or a series of books that you read, where you said you always, even when you know when you were a student, when you might have mm. become an actor, still writing was a very important part. Was there a point where you realised, you know, you would see some written word and you think, yeah, this 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 is a game I want to play with these are things I want to do well I think part of wanting to be an actor was was that love of language actually and because I was always much more interested in you know Shakespeare or Marlowe or you know restoration comedy because of that richness and that density of the language um much less than Beckett for instance uh, when I was a student um and so I think that, that was, there was just always something there that I, I probably wasn't as interested in in the parts as the language. Um, and that overcame everything else eventually. <laughs> Does the, um, you mentioned Beckett, and I remember at the time when we were at the festival, you said, you know, it was, you, you weren't an enormous fan originally. Where, no. where, where are you now with... Uh, Beckett, I mean, maybe even things like the novels, you know, Murphy and things like that, or... Yeah, no, I love, I love the novels. Um, and, I mean, I, he's interesting because he's, in some ways, I find him less approachable than Joyce. He's obviously a lot less warm than Joyce. But the humour is, is there, but you have to kind of look at a slightly deeper level and go through a lot more to get there, <laughs> to earn it, but... Um, you know, I think I'm in the process of, yeah, maybe finding out a bit more about Beckett this year. So ask me next year. It's odd though, isn't it? Because Joyce, from what I read, I don't know very much about Joyce in terms of biographically, but he doesn't seem to come across as necessarily a, you know, 
a lovely warm man. That's a lovely uh, big drunk man. Possibly. Whereas Beckett <laughs> comes across like in real life, yeah, like he was a really quite warm bloke yeah, who would really like you know you, you read people he, you know never wants to talk about his work. Yeah. They're very happy to talk about tennis and give Andre the Giant a lift to school uh, yeah. and all of those things. Yeah, I mean, and it's... I just and I find that it's an interesting bit where you see. No, I think it's it's odd because I mean I think Joyce sounds like he was great crack. You go and just get absolutely hammered and that would be kind of amazing and anything could happen but Beckett you know obviously anytime I meet anyone who knew him in the flesh I've become a rabid fan and beg them for information and I've never heard anyone say a bad word about him only what a lovely man he was what a generous man he was um and with his time and with his money as well in later in life um but I suppose you don't you don't write you don't write for what you have for nothing. You mm. write for what you don't have. Yeah, no, that's what was interesting there. The because um, there's a great book by oh, it's, not, it's just an interesting book. It's it's a collection of photos of Beckett that were taken by you know that famous picture of him basically in the overcoat and he's in the mm. cafe yeah, yeah. and it's the one that's very often now used you know late yeah. late in life yeah. and I picked it up in in Dylan's bookshop which is one of my favourite bookshops which is a mobile bookstore. Uh, run by uh, a wonderful man who knows a great deal about Dylan Thomas and worked with all manner of beats and all kind. Of, and he's always uh-huh. got good stories. And uh, you don't feel wrong when he says, "Should we have a bit of whiskey now?" It's eleven <laughs> in the morning and you're browsing, <laughs> and it's all fine. But he he, he said, "Oh, you must." <laughs> oh no, it never, it's weird. And I've returned to that whiskey because I had a bottle of it as well. And I thought I'm looking forward to that. And I went, it "Doesn't taste nearly as good if I'm not browsing. It has to be. It, it's a it's a whiskey that works oh, with yeah, browsing. The smell of the books and the." Yeah, it's all. Yeah, but it's um. Yeah, it's it's just it's a lovely. It's just his memories of basically saying, you know, always knowing if he was going to take a photo back, it wouldn't really say anything about it. And then suddenly there'd just be a moment where it's like, okay, now will be the moment. Click, then we go. It's done. Now let's continue eating and drinking and talking about Bjorn Borg or whatever was going on at the time. Yeah. Um, In your childhood, who were your uh? What what were the first books that you became uh? If you, if you well, I, I didn't know if I could remember the first. But I mean, I, there was always a lot of books in the house. And my two older brothers, I sort of inherited their books as I got older. So there was a lot of... I mean, Narnia, that was, I liked that a lot when I was a child. Um, and then I think probably the first time I became really obsessed was reading Anne Green Gables. And, and again, that was about language, about suddenly being really affected by these kind of, which you know, are now obviously incredibly flowery descriptions of everything. But at the time, it was completely new to me to read that and to have that kind of experience of, of a book being able to fill your mind with something, um, with imager, images rather than just story. Um, and so I loved all of those books and read those several times over as a, as a child. But also I remember when I was younger loving E. Nesbitt and all of those books. Those were, I liked a lot of that kind of stuff. Not Arthur Ransom so much though. And I wasn't allowed to read Enid Blyton. That was forbidden. What was the Enid Blyton thing? Was that because of the... I know, uh, my some... father just said that she had no vocabulary. So hmm. there would be no Enid Blyton allowed in our house. And, and that was the only writer I was not, not allowed to read as a child. But it's quite nice that, that even at that early stage you already knew about the idea, you know, yeah. someone going, there's not enough vocabulary in the, <laughs> yeah. in the island of adventure. <laughs> yeah. She just calls a rock a rock and nothing else. Because <laughs> yeah. um, I... Um, I always I, hated Enid Blyton. Yeah, my mum used to try and make me read all those books. 
No, I just couldn't get into them. Oh. Where's Ian Nesbitt, Phoenix and the Carpet. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah, oh, there's that brilliant Absolutely. What's that book that's just come out recently? Oh, uh, Trent, you'll have to look it up. It's um, Five Children and It. It's a follow-up, and it's basically involving the First World War. So it's now what oh, happened okay. to the children the next stage, and it was up for the um, Carnegie Award. Okay. And it's a really... I'm sorry, we'll get the title in a minute. It's good Yesterday, I think it was with Erin, I think we were talking about the fact that sometimes when you go back, not to your childhood books, those books, your teenage years, mm. and you go, sometimes you can go, oh, I enjoyed it as a teenager, but for reasons that now I enjoy it for entirely, and other times yeah. you go back and you go, oh, oh, everything's moved on now, and it no longer has the, yeah. the, the, the spell. Do, have you ever, have you done that ever, where you return to those? I've done it a couple of times, and I did it... Bizarrely, with lesser Bohemians, because the first conversation the two characters have when they meet is about Dostoevsky's *The Devils*, mm-hmm. which was a book that I read in my mid-teens that I really loved and became quite obsessed with. And uh, and so when I started writing *The Lesser Bohemians*, and I sort of realised what the book was about, and that I wanted that very initial conversation to really be about one of the main themes of the book, but that nobody, neither of them, realise it at the time um, I went back and read it again in, in fairness Dostoevsky holds up pretty well <laughs> yeah like, that's the thing there's a reason you were attracted to it as a teenager <laughs> yeah. yeah I probably understood it a bit more the second time round but actually recently I was asked to write um, the foreword for the new edition of Edna O'Brien's Country Girls trilogy oh, wow. which I had read when I was 14 and had not read again since I was 14 and and I'm a huge fan of, of Edna O'Brien for a lot of reasons for her writing but also because of what because of the life she's allowed Irish female writers to have the freedom she's allowed us to have because of what she went through and so I admire her tremendously but I did go back to the books with certain sense of trepidation that oh god yeah what if, I, what if I, die? I remember them being such a huge thing it was almost like my first grown-up reading experience was reading was reading Edna O'Brien and and so I went back and I read them and it it was The Country Girls is a is a marvellous book it is a really really wonderful book I haven't read it and it's still it still is a wonderful book and it's and it was funnier and bawdier than I remembered it being when I was younger of course you would never have known no of course not but what was interesting was then reading this the, the second two books which I actually thought were even better. And at the time, as a teenager, because, you know, they're writing, she's writing about them being older and they had outgrown me at that point. I think a lot of it kind of went over my head, whereas reading it as a a 40-year-old woman, you suddenly think, Jesus, look what she was writing about and the time that she was writing about it in. It was incredible. And and so, you know, I just thought those, those are two books that have actually been much underappreciated because the first book is so amazing and so kind of um, like it's 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 hard to get outside the spell of the first book it's so good but actually these other two books are really fantastic and so it was really nice then to think okay I'm re- I'm relieved <laughs> well, I actually like two? it better than I did there's um, the lonely girl which is also sometimes called the girl with green eyes and girls in the married bliss 
And should you read them in order? You should read them in order, right. yeah. Because it's the same It's the same two characters that follows them right through. I only asked because the other day I bought Girl with Green Eyes. Because I, li- I liked, one of yeah. the reasons was I liked the cover. I've always known, I've never read any of hers and I should read some. And yeah. also it was just the right thickness that I realised. <laughs> it, it was <laughs> the antithesis <laughs> of Ulysses. It was like, I definitely won't eventually go, oh, I've been distracted now I'm reading something else. And I think it was a film with Rita Tushingham, wasn't it? That's well. right, that's right. Um, because Tushingham. it was, the book was originally called The Lonely Girl but when the film came out it was called The Girl with Green Eyes so that's why the book is sometimes called The Girl with Green Eyes uh, but I think in this in the new uh, trilogy they're all published together I think it's The Lonely Girl again it's it's gone back to its original title but you have to read The Country Girls first there's no point okay I will <laughs> um, thank you very much for coming along thank you very much Josie this uh, programme has been brought to you by uh, Bird's Eyes Petit Pois that shows how middle <laughs> class Josie has become that's all she there went, was she goes, um, I, I like to cool my knees because they're swollen but I don't want peas I need Petit Pois or another French equivalent uh, I'm, guys I have to go and film a thing we're late and I've got to go and do it even though I this can't walk ridiculous Thank you very much, Josie Long. Thank you so much. I can't much. believe I've been up here two weeks in the fringe and I haven't broken myself. One day. Oh, no, Silly, wasn't it? No need to boast. No, I'll probably, yeah, but like we know, You're I'm on the Indian summer. I'll go at any moment now. <laughs> Thank you very much. As usual, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to the show and especially to our Patreon supporters who make all of this possible. And this week's chosen Patreon supporters to thank are Adam Brelsford, Matt Sides, Ed Key, Oliver Bellwood, Rosalind Gould, Kate Frank, Katrina McCausland and Joe Chippendale. And the winner of the Box of Books this week is Zoe Mitchell. Congratulations, Zoe. Pop us an email to contact at cosmicshambles.com and we will get your prize out to you as soon as we can. And, of course, if you'd like to go in the running to win a box of books each week as well as getting extended editions of all these episodes and bonus episodes and videos and all sorts of other stuff, uh, you can become a patron supporter of the Book Shambles podcast for as little as $1 an episode and that uh, helps, us, helps us keep making the show go to cosmicshambles.com slash bookshambles you'll find the Patreon link there just click on the little Patreon logo and also that is where you'll find the reading lists for this and all the other episodes and also if you're listening to us on the Apple Podcasts app or iTunes uh, be sure to leave us a review on there that really helps us out as well thanks very much for listening and we will be back next week with another new episode This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions. (laughs) 